Just hang in there. Um, so again, we're, we, it, and it seems like we've been moving right along in, in the book of Zechariah. So if you will, please make your way over to Zechariah chapter 4 this evening. We'll be covering the whole chapter. And uh, we're getting into the fifth vision um, that this young prophet is now in the middle of. It, it's interesting because he, he ends up having like eight visions all in one night. On February 15th, 15 or 519 BC. It is on that day, that evening, that night that, that he has these visions. And as I was sharing with you last week, uh, we're getting, again, we're getting to see more of these visions. And it seems like they've been moving from location to location, from venue to venue, because the first two visions that we saw were outside of Jerusalem in the valley. Uh, again, we're assuming that it was a Kidron Valley that would be just to the east of the, uh, the Temple Mount of Jerusalem. And it's not a huge valley, but it's a, a valley nonetheless. Um, and then the third vision, they had moved into Jerusalem. And we saw that, that even in that vision, again, they drew closer. They were measuring out the city and the prosperity that would be coming, the growth that would be happening in that area. And then last week when we got into the fourth vision, the scene seemed to change somewhat, that it went to some kind of a temple or a throne room or a judgment hall of some kind. And that's where, where we found ourselves. And now we get into um, chapter 4 and we get into the fifth vision. And it seems that for sure now we're inside kind of the temple and or a tabernacle, the tabernacle of old. And so I shared with you that, that the first few visions could possibly have have dealt with the external deliverance of Israel, how they, they, they were delivered from captivity, when they were brought back, the expansion that happened, and all the material prosperity that would be happening in the land. And so when they moved into Jerusalem, closer into closer where the temple would be, the fourth and now into the fifth vision, it, it set forth with Israel's more internal kind of life, the cleansing of sin, uh, the reinstatement of, of the priestly office and the functions that come with that. And, and, and now even as we move a little closer or see a little deeper, we see the, the setting up or the fulfillment of not only the temple, but the, the, the kingdom that will be coming as well. Now, make no mistake about it. It has been a long night for this young prophet. I, I don't know how his ministry was before, but this is one of those days that he was just going, 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 it seemed like. And it seemed like it didn't start until the evening that, man, oh man, he is going through this crazy vision of what God has been showing him. And so make no mistake about it, this guy is, is in the thick of it. And it's not over. And I'm reminded of the ministry of Jesus when we see through the Gospels that they just went from sun up to sun down. And then even when the sun went down, Jesus still got a way to go pray. 
And so a lot of times ministry is just moving, 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 going, going, going. There's things going on. And even when you're tired, it's like, okay, here we go again. Let's go for it, you know. Because it seemed like even in Jesus' ministry, when you thought it was all over, then a whole new batch of people came in. And then it's like, okay, let's turn our attentions this way. And I'm sure the disciples, and there was a couple of times trying to turn people away. He's going, no, we can't. We got to go minister to them. And that's kind of what ministry is all about. When, when you're in the thick of it, when you all of a sudden jump in and you start kind of doing stuff and you're going, man, I'm so tired from work, but I can't wait to get to church so I can go and, and teach the kids or go do this or go do that. And so you're just going, going, going. And, and, and it's okay to be tired in ministry, but don't get tired of ministry. There's a huge difference because most people that are serving are always tired, (laughs) are always tired. Because whether you're you're full-time or part-time or not any time, but you're just busy in kind of ministry, it seems like you're burning the candle at both ends. And then all of a sudden you get a match and then you light the middle of the candle. And you're going, why in the world are you putting more on? You're going, I'm just excited to go do what I get to go do, you know? It's interesting because there's a scripture in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, where it says, And let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season you shall reap if you do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household faith. And so it's not just the pastor and it's not just the elders. It's just, just not deacons and, and people that are have some kind of title. It's us as, as, as believers. We are called to do good works. We are called to serve. Not serve Calvary Chapel, not serve the pastor, not serve whoever, but serve the Lord. You know? And, and it's interesting because I battled that with people because it's like if you're doing it for anybody else, don't do it. But if God's calling you to do it, who am I to tell you, hey, take a break. And so, again, ministry, and, and we see this in this young man's life, that, man, he got, came on the scene and he's being used. And it's in one night that he's going to reveal or get, get this revelation of all these, these visions. And you know that he's going to, well, he wrote them down somehow, but he's going to share all these revelations, all these visions with the people as well. And so, again, we see that there's people that can, that can just keep on going and going and going and they're burning the candle at both ends. And sometimes the best thing to do in the middle of all that ministry is take a nap. (laughs) Warren Wiersbe, one of the commentators I love to read, he says, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do on Sunday afternoon is take a nap. And I've taken that to heart. Then again, I've been napping since I was a kid, man. I get an hour break uh, for lunch and I go home and I sleep for a half hour. So I can just keep on going, going, going. You know, I'm up early and I, I'll go all day, but I got about a half hour nap. <laughs> because that's just what I do. I'll take a 15-minute nap in my office. Tell my secretary, hey, no calls. <laughs> and she goes, taking a nap? Absolutely. Got to close my eyes for a little bit. And so, so I say that, and I hope you understand that as we get into, into our text, because I'll, I'll you know, you'll, you'll catch it in the first verse here. Let's read the whole chapter, chapter, four, uh, chapter 14. It says, Now the angel 
who talked with me came back and awakened me as a man who is awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, look, or what do you see? So I said, I am looking, and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. And the stand, and on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to, to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one, to, one at the right of the bowl and the other to the left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain. And he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, "The hand of Zerubbabel have laid the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day?" Of small things. For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord, which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. Then I answered and said to him, What are these two olive trees at the right of the lampstand and at, the, at its left? And I further answered and said to him, What are these two olive branches that drip from the receptacle of the gold pipes, of the two gold pipes from the gold oil, golden oil drains. And he answered me and said, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. So he said, These are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. And so there's a lot to unpack here. And again, hopefully I can do it somewhat, some justice here. But this young prophet, again, we don't know how old he is, but we know that he's fairly young, younger than, than, than Haggai was. And, and, and again, back in chapter 2, when the angel was speaking, it called him a young man. And so it, I don't know what his age is, but he is being used of the Lord in, in a powerful way. And he has now seen four amazing visions already. And he, is, he, he seems to be exhausted somewhat because as he's been seeing these visions, it, it, you know, again, he has to take a nap. He's, he's just, however it is, but he, he is asleep because the angel has come and awakened him as one who has been asleep. And so God still has some more to reveal to him. But it was okay for him to take a little respite, a little rest, a little repose there. Because again, he needed the energy that he would need to continue on to do the work that needed to be done. And so it wasn't like he's being lazy. Ministry sometimes is exhausting. And I remember, you know, because I, I worked construction for all these years, you know. And then when I came on staff, I felt like, man, how do you do this, man? You, you, 
you come to work clean and you go home clean, you know? You didn't get dirty. And, 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 and there was a pastor here at the time who was telling me it's a different type of tire. And I'm thinking, how do you get tires simply on a desk? I didn't, I never understood that, you know? It's like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. It's like, you did nothing. But he was trying to tell me it's a different type of tired that it just kind of drains you, you know? Because you're always pouring out to other people. You're always giving. You're always doing. You're always all these things. And, you know, you, you receive and you give. You receive and you give, as I was talking about on Sunday morning. And sometimes you're just going, man, I'm, I'm just tired. My brain is just like fried. And there's times that you're just going, I, I don't want to think. <laughs> I don't want to think about nothing. You know, and, and, and you just need to close it off. And, and, and so, again, this young man, he, he's in this time, and, and the Lord still has something to, to reveal to him. And so I'm sure this nap that he had was really, really refreshing because there was more to be done. The work was not over. And, again, for us as, as believers, the work is never over. There's always work to be done. Now, again, there's times that we need to step back. There's, there's times that we need to just go, let me just rest because i got to get back up to go for it. But you never want to just sit on the sidelines and do nothing and let everything else. You want to be in the game. That's part of what being a believer is all about. And, I, and again, I, I see this young man, and I just feel like, man, this guy's ready to go. And because he's a willing vessel, he is willing to, to go further. He, he, he's willing to go, and, and if there's any left in the tank, he, he wants to go for it. He, he wants to drain it all. And I love that because, like the Apostle Paul in Philippians, I think it's in chapter 2 or 3, I think it's chapter 2, where he talks about being a drink offering. If, if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on your behalf, like, right on, rejoice with me. And so, again, that's what we do. We, we pour out, whether it's for our families, the, our coworkers, our community, however it is, that we're just pouring out, not just inside church, but outside. That's our life. That's what we get to do. And so this young man, he takes a nap to gain some strength because there's more that he wants to give. There's another young man, that, that uh, another young prophet by the name of Daniel, as I was kind of looking at this, who was also involved in a, in a vision that the Lord was giving him, and it left him exhausted and without strength as well. And it says in, in uh, Daniel chapter 10, verse 8, Therefore, he says, I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor had turned to frailty in me, and I retained strength. And again, what he was going through, what he was kind of battling with um, as he's seeing this vision and stuff, it just kind of drained him. And so again, there, there, there's times that you have to re rest and there's times to get more. And, and even when you're tired and even when, when you think you have nothing left in the, in the tank, we're going to see in just a little bit that it's not by your might, it's not by your power, it's by the Spirit of the Lord. That, that kind of comes along and just and just does this work. And so he asks them, what do you see? And I could almost picture this poor, young, tired uh, prophet, uh, Zechariah, rubbing the sleep from his eyes and trying to make sense of what's going on. It's probably like, whoa, 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 what do you mean, what do I see? I can barely see, you know. But he does. He sees clearly as he wakes up after this rest. And he sees a picture of a lampstand or a candlestick, a candelabra, a, a menorah, if you will. Something similar to, to what we have here in, in front here, but a lot bigger. 
You know, it, it, it tells us that, again, it was a solid gold. And, and if it was the menorah that was kind of resembling the, the one in the tabernacle, it, it probably was good size, at least five foot tall and, and, and just as wide. It was just huge. It was big. And so, so, again, that's what he sees. And he gives us a lot of detail. So, again, he snapped out of his little nap, and now he's seeing something, and it's important to him what he sees. And so he's going to capture all the little details, and he begins to tell us all those little things that are attached to it. And then he also tells us about this olive tree that was kind of feeding it. Because he says that, that he saw this candlestick, it was, it was solid gold, and there was a bowl on top of it, uh, and it stands, uh, and on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. And so again, if you could picture this menorah, but, but a lot bigger, there was a bowl that, that hung out somewhere over here, and there was all these pipes going to each one of the little cups each one of the little bowls that, that it had. And so there was seven, seven of them, one that went straight just like that and six or, or three on each side. And so he, he sees all of this and he begins to give all the details. And the important part was that, that he saw something to the right and the left and there was the olive trees. And we'll get to that a little later, hopefully, if I don't run out of time. So it seems that in this vision... It's taking place in this holy place of the temple. It, it, it's, a, it's, it's different. Um, if, it, if in fact it is the temple, it, it could also have been a picture of the old tabernacle. And the tabernacle was, was a good size. But when you got into the holy place where, where these things would be, it's actually about as big as where these green seats are all the way to the sound room. I've measured all this building out. And, and, and it's interesting because it would have been about this big and, and, and right behind where my wife is at, right about there, and people are going, you have a wife? It's like, yeah, she's right there. Uh, like right behind back there, it would have been the holy of holies right there. And it's interesting because it's about this size. But all the stuff that, 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 he's, that I'm going to share with you would be in this little area. There would be a veil right there that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And so he talks about this, this, this candelabra, this, this menorah. And it would have been to the left. Let me see, which way are we facing? It would have been to, to this side as you walked in that, that uh, there would be the altar of incense. And, and, and the gold lampstand would, or the candlestick would be opposite it. And it would shine towards the, towards the, the altar that would be in the middle and the lampstand, whichever way it was, I'm getting confused here. But there would be another area where there would be a table where the showbread was at. And so it was the lampstand there that was always lit. And it was the job of the high priest that they would go morning and evening to go in and make sure that it was filled. They trimmed the wicks and they always had oil in it. And there was a continual light in the holy place. And so, so when, when we get this picture of what's going on, all of a sudden, he begins to tell us that this menorah or this lampstand, it, not, it, it, it was basically automated. 
It's like there was a source that was feeding it. So there was no, no need for a high priest to be involved in this because there was two olive trees that produced olive into this receptacle that was over the menorah. And from there, the, the seven lamp things that, that it had, there were seven pipes that went to it, about 49 of them in, in all, to feed this thing. And so it's a little different than what Moses tells us in, in Exodus uh, about the, the, the lampstand. But it was the job of the high priest to always take care of it. And it's interesting that now in this picture, nobody needs to take care of it. It's already taken care of. There's a picture that's associated with that, that again, there's a source that's feeding it. And humans, as far as the, the high priest, they don't have to do anything anymore. It's, it, it says this about what they were supposed to do in Leviticus 24. Command the children of Israel that they bring pure oil of pressed olives uh, for the light to make the lamp, burn, the lamp burn continually outside the veil of testimony in the tabernacle of meeting. Aaron shall be in charge of it from morning until and from evening until morning before the Lord continually. It shall be a statue, a statue forever to your generations. He shall be in charge of the lamps of the pure gold lampstand before the Lord continually. And it says that Aaron in Exodus 30, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 37 and 8, it says, Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning. Then when he tends the lamp, he shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamp at twilight, he shall burn incense on it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. And so here the lampstand that Zechariah is sharing with us is, again, is similar but different. Aaron no longer has to be there. A high priest no longer has to take care of these things because now all of a sudden the lampstand is being hooked up to the source that he no longer has to take care of this whole thing. Again, understanding that this picture of the source is the one that's feeding it and he, do, he doesn't have to take care of it. He, has to, he doesn't have to do anything or humans don't have to do anything. And it's a picture of how, again, the source, the oil, which is a, a symbol of the Holy Spirit, is now the one that's doing the work. If we are connected to the source and God has called us to be lights, as he called the nation of Israel to be light, then all of a sudden the source is what feeds us and we have to be light. Again, nobody has to come and trim our wicks. We don't have to, like, make sure. No, God's already taking care of it. And that's a picture that, that we get here as Jesus says that you are the light of the world. If you are connected to the source, then he will take care of the, 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 the light that you need to be shining. When you think of the nation of Israel, they were also called to be a light. And so they were supposed to be the ones that, that shined onto the world. In Isaiah uh, chapter 60, verses 1 through 3, it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord is risen uh, upon you. 
For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, the deep darkness, the people, but the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. And so again, the nation of Israel was supposed to be the light to the world. God had chosen them. And we get a picture of, of, of something here that's associated with light, which is the lampstand. What's interesting is this seven-branched lampstand or menorah is, is today the official um, symbol of the nation of Israel. And so this is huge in, in, in what we need to understand that God... God wanted this lampstand because it was the lampstand that, that, that produced the light in the holy place. When, when it was lit, and it was always lit in the holy place, it shined onto the altar. Again, a symbol of sacrifice, that Jesus would be sacrificed. It shined onto the temple where the bread would be at, the showbread. Again, now another symbol of Jesus who is the bread of life. Um, in the days of our text, the light, <clears throat> the light had been burning very dim and very low when the remnant came back. When they came back to the land, it wasn't like before. And, and it seemed like because there had to be a lot of rebuilding and a lot of things that had to go on, their power, their source, it seemed that they had been disconnected for such a long time. But there was also just that flicker that was still there that God would use. And so he's saying, you are the lampstand, Israel. I will be your source. You allow me to do what, you want, what, what I want to do in your life, and you will be that bright light that I've called you to. And again, it was kind of snuffed out, but not all the way because there's always a remnant when they were taken into captivity. But God would once again restore it. And that's what this vision is kind of sharing with us, that even though the, the temple was, was, was not yet built, um, Zerubbabel, again, in and of himself, didn't have the wherewithal, the power, the might to do the work, if you will. And so in verse 4, all of a sudden this conversation is going after he asked them, what do you see? And he says, this is what I see. And so I answered and spoke to the angel who talked to me saying, what are these things, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me uh, answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. And so it's almost like this this conversation that's going on, I don't know if, if the angel was surprised that Zechariah didn't know what exactly was going on, or is he not playing the devil's advocate, but just kind of drawing him in, asking him the question, what do you see? I see this. And, and he says, well, what is it? He says, well, what do you think it is? Don't you know what it is? And, and, and maybe he should have known. Maybe he should have understood what the lampstand was all about. Maybe he should have understand, understood what these two trees were all about. But he's being honest with him, going, I don't know exactly what they are. And, and I like that because, again, there was question in him, and he's going, I'm not going to tell you I think it's this. You tell me what it is. And so I like that little conversation that's going on there. And then a verse that's familiar to a lot of us, but, but he, he answers in verse 16, or verse 6, and says to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. 
not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? For before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Now, I want to read those two verses through the Amplified because it's just it was powerful. There's a lot that's, that's added to, to that, that portion of Scripture. In verse 6, if you can follow along as I, you know, because there's these, these little parentheses that, that are added on here. It says, Then he said to me, This addition of the bowl of the candlestick caused... It, causing it to yield a ceaseless supply of oil from the olive tree is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, of whom the oil is a symbol, says the Lord of hosts. And so he says, What are these? And he says, He says, This is the word of the Lord kind of saying these two olive trees, the, where the source comes from, it is the word of the Lord that's speaking to Zerubbabel. He is, he is speaking to him, and these two olive trees, they kind of represent some kind of source that, that would take care of him and speak to him, is what he, he is basically saying here. And in verse 7, he says, For who are you, O great mountain of human obstacle before Zerubbabel with uh, who with Joshua had led the return of the exiles from Babylon and has undertaken the rebuilding of the temple before him you shall become a plain a mere more uh, mohill and he shall bring forth the final gable stone of the new temple with loud shouting of people crying grace, grace to it. And so when he says, oh, you know, before Zerubbabel, you, um, this great mountain will, will, will be a plain. Whatever obstacles were, were in front of Zerubbabel, and again, Zerubbabel, if you weren't familiar, he's more of the governor the, the, on the civic side of, of the leaders of Jerusalem when they came back of the children of Israel, whereas Joshua was more of the priestly part of it. And so Zerubbabel had all these obstacles coming at him. If you remember back in Ezra, when they started the work, because of all the obstacles that came against them, they put, they put it on hiatus for about 16 years until, until uh, Haggai and Zechariah came on the scene to to bring a reproach against them, to rebuke them of why they had not been doing the work. And so now Zerubbabel and Joshua are back on track. And so whatever mountains were before them, he says, I will, I will make it as a plain for you. But understand this, it's not by your might. It's not by your power, Zerubbabel. It is by my spirit that any of this will be done. When, when we think of King Solomon when he built the first temple, which the Babylonians destroyed, he had unlimited resources. 
He had an amazing army behind him that his dad had basically built up. His dad was the one that fought many battles that brought in many spoils so that they could build the temple. And so for him, for, for, for Solomon, it was like nothing, man. It wasn't hard. Whatever he wanted, he got. Zerubbabel was not there. Solomon had all the army, had all the resources. He was a, a powerful ruler who, who taxed other nations, other people around them. So he was constantly bringing in money for this temple. Zerubbabel was not there. He had this obstacle in the way that was this huge mountain. And God is telling him, Zerubbabel, if you just trust me, don't trust in your own might. Don't trust in your own armies. Because that's what that word might means, that it would be the armies that are behind you. Don't trust in your own power, in your individual power, that you can do all these things. He's saying, you're never going to get nowhere. Now, it's interesting because I think so often we think that we can do it in our might and our power. Why? Because we have the resources to do stuff. And oftentimes we end up trusting more in our resources than we do in the Lord. And that's a dangerous place. Now, it's good to have resources. Do not get me wrong. But if, if you're thinking that your resources will get you through what you're going through, then you're, you're going to be sadly mistaken. And that mountain is never going to leave. If anything, it just gets bigger and bigger. And, and God wants us to use whatever resources we have for his glory, whatever power you think you have in and of yourself or gifts, whatever it is, if you're not using it for the Lord, then they're going to come to nothing. It is always, not just back then with Zerubbabel, but with us today, it is by his spirit that the work gets done. I think oftentimes when we have resources... If we are not using those for the Lord, then again, we're going to come to a place where we hit this obstacle and we don't know how to get around it. And it's not until we realize, Lord, whatever I have is yours. Use all my resources. Use all my power. If there's any giftings in me, Lord, if I'm using it for the wrong reason, then Lord, change it in me. Do something in me to where now I'm using it for your glory. Because again, oftentimes we think that we can do it on our own. And, and the scripture, a lot of us know the scripture and we can quote it. But I think oftentimes we, 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 we fall back to our might and to our power before we actually fall onto the spirit of the Lord. And the, this 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 message that this young man has, for, this young prophet has for them is, don't be discouraged. And I think he's telling them that because Zerubbabel understood he had no might, he had no power. Again, it takes us to another place in our lives. That when we think, well, Lord, I ain't got nothing. I have nothing to offer you. And I think that's when he usually says, great, I can use that. <laughs> I could work with nothing. It's the times that we think that we have it all that he's going, go ahead, go do it on your own. Until you wear out with the resources. And so I think the, the, the message for, for, for Zerubbabel here was the Spirit of God will enable you to do what you think you can never do. 
And oftentimes the Lord has to bring us to those places in our lives where we're not trusting in our might and our power because we're really good at that. And, and I know that oftentimes we're going, yeah, but I want to use it for the Lord. And it's like, okay, but if you had nothing, would you still use what the little bit you have for the Lord? Because we think that our, 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 our resources are what's really helping Again, I'm not against the resources. Please understand that. But I'm just saying that, that, again, if you think that that's what's going to propel you to walk in the Spirit, you're wrong. It is the Spirit and the Spirit only, whether you have resources or nothing. And I think Zerubbabel understood this. He understood that he had nothing. And he needed that encouragement from this young prophet. And I don't know how old Zerubbabel is at this time, but I could almost guarantee you that this cat was a lot younger than Zerubbabel. And he comes in and he says, it's not by your might, it's not by your power, it's by the Spirit. And I think it it just encouraged him. It's interesting because Haggai, a couple of months earlier, had come on the scene in Haggai 2.5, and he told them, my Spirit remains among you, do not fear. And it seems like maybe he had kind of forgotten that, that the Spirit of God was still there. This mountain would be as plain. And it just kind of reminded me of where am I at? It just kind of reminded me of, of, of what Jesus tells us in Matthew, chapter 17, verse 20, where, where he says, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, which is like the, one of the smallest seeds known to man at that time. If you have this faith of a mustard seed, you could tell that mountain, be moved from here to over there, and it shall move. Because he finishes off that verse by saying, and nothing will be impossible for you. Not because of who you are, but because of the one that moves mountains. <laughs> he is the one that does the he is the one that goes before us. He is the one that takes care of these, these obstacles in our lives that he moves them or he gets us over it or he climbs us or he helps us to dig through them or however the case is. But they're only obstacles. They're not walls. They're not shut doors. Obstacles can always be moved. An obstacle is an impediment. They impede your, your way and those things can be moved or jumped or gone around, or whatever the case may be. And so whatever mountains Zerubbabel was facing, I think most of them was not just the external adversaries that were coming against them. I think a lot of it was just the discouragement that was going on from within. The answer, again, to the problem here was to pray to ask the Lord to, be, to fill him with his power, with his strength, with his might. Again, we see this with the early church. As they began to, to, to go out and the opposition became uh, kind of hot and heavy, they prayed, the Lord answered them, and he would give them a fresh filling of his Holy Spirit time and time and time again. And that is kind of what we learn in, throughout the book of Acts, what we will be covering for the next couple of years on Sunday mornings. Um, but he, he encourages him at the end of verse 7 where he says, And he shall bring forth a cap, or the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. 
God was assuring Zerubbabel, who may have been in this discouragement mode, this, this bummed out time, that he, he would see the completion of this temple. And he, he would be the one that would put the capstone on, the last stone, the finished stone, if you will, upon the building. And that was an encouragement for him that he would be putting the last piece of the puzzle back on the temple. And I love the fact that God gave him this promise, it seems like, in the lowest point of his life, where he just didn't have anything. And God says, I will do this in you. And you will be the one that puts the final piece of puzzle uh, together. And you'll see the finish of it. And they will be shouting, grace, grace, to it or God bless it, God bless it. Another translation could be beautiful and perfection. Beautiful and perfection. You'll see the finished product. Not all the people, not all the people were happy and glad and shouted for joy when all of this was going on. If you remember back in Ezra chapter 3, uh, last year sometime when we were covering it, a lot of the old-timers, they were bummed out as they began to see the work because they knew it wasn't going to look like the former temple. We saw that also in Haggai when, when he asked the question, is it like the first one? And you could, you know, no, it's not. It's not going to look anything like it. And yet God was still in the, in the midst of it, that even though it was going to be like the former, his glory told us in, in Haggai would be there. And that glory would surpass the glory of the first temple that was so ornate and so like over the top with gold and precious things. This one was going to look nothing like it. But at one point in this temple's life, Herod would redo it somewhat, but Jesus would go into that temple and the glory of the Lord would reign and it would be in there. And so, again, there would be this, this excitement, but some of the old-timers are going, it's just not going to be like it used to be. And so in verses 8 through about 10 right here, again, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of the temple. His hands shall also finish it. Then you shall know, or you will know, that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, as God is speaking to him. And uh, for who has despised the days of small things? These seven, for these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These are the eyes of the Lord which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. And so God gives him a, a, a crystal clear picture it gives, it gives Zechariah this clear picture. And I'm sure when Zechariah, when he was able to get to Zerubbabel and share this vision with him, it, it just meant the world to him. That, that, that not only would he take away all the obstacles, not only will he make the plains, you know, the mountains like plains, not only would he see the capstone, but he would be the one that God says, I saw the work from beginning to end, the things that you did, and, I, and he saw all the trouble, everything that, that Zerubbabel went through. 
God's seeing him through it. Even, even that hiatus that they took for 16 years that they were disobedient in, he still raised them up to get back to the work. And I love that. Because, again, walking away for so long and God says, here, let's just pick up where, where we left off. Let's just continue the, the work. And, and, and that, 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 that scripture from Philippians 1.6 saying, being confident of this very thing, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ rings so true. I know it wasn't around when Zerubbabel was there. But that's what God was going to do. Zerubbabel, I started a work with you, and I will complete it to the end. And that's what he does with us, guys. Because oftentimes when we think, well, I'm done. I just don't have it in me. And God's going, why don't you just pick up where you left off? Let's just keep on doing the work. I will give you the, the, the spirit of God to do the work for me. But all he needs are these receptacles, you know, a receptacle so that we can have these, these, these pipes, these, you know, that, that the source would just kind of go through us so the light will continue. And, and, and we continue to do the work that God has called us to do. King David reminded his son Solomon when they were going to build, build the temple, he says, be strong. And be of good courage to do it. Do not fear, nor be dismayed, for the Lord, your God, my God, will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you until you have finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. And that's from First uh, uh, Chronicles 28, 20. Again, some of the Jews, the old-timers, they looked at what God was doing in and through Zerubbabel and Joshua, the work that was being done, and they kind of sat back in the back and said, it's never going to look like the other one. It's not as big as the first one. It doesn't look like what, what God had done in the beginning. And that's where that one scripture right here says, for who has despised the day of small things? It wasn't going to be as grand as the first temple. But we can't look at things the way man sees them. We have to look at them the way God sees them. You see, God had already seen the finished work of this second temple. And he was stoked, man. He was so, so glad that Zerubbabel was back on track to do the work. The people were, were kind of getting excited. And we've seen throughout the, 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 the Bible that, that God would often use small things to accomplish his purposes. As I was going through this, some of the things that were coming up in my reading was when God wanted to do, uh, wanted to bring about the salvation of, of, of the nation of Israel and of the world, he started with a little baby by the name of Isaac, that he would be the seed. He would be the one. And when God wanted to overthrow Egypt um, to set the people free, he used a little baby who cried and they couldn't hide him anymore. And it was by the name of Moses, right? And, and God used this young shepherd boy who everybody kind of threw away to fight the giant and win, win the giant. In, in the New Testament, we see that God used a, a small young lad, a, a, a young boy, uh, to, who, who the disciples stole his lunch. But anyways, but, but you know, a, a small guy to bring his small lunch to feed thousands. And we see that even as the church began, there was only 120 people that were gathered together 
waiting for the promise of the Father to come. And only 120 people, because of that, the church grew. And God has continued to do the work. And I think oftentimes we despise we despise the, the day of small things, thinking that we're insignificant, thinking, who are we, this little church in, in the middle of nowhere? What are we going to do? And yet God can use us in, in our homes, in our communities, around the world as he has. Who, who, why, why should we despise the little things? And I think oftentimes we, we think too, too, too not, I don't want to say we think too little of ourselves, but we do. We don't, we don't give God enough credit that he can use somebody like me or somebody like you. We think, well, I'm not eloquent. And you go, well, but my pastor's never eloquent. Um, if he can use that knucklehead, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's like, no, don't despise the, the, the small things that God is doing in our lives. Because you never know what God is going to do with those things. And you may never know until you get to, until you get to heaven and you see the, what, what God did through all of that. And so as we, um, let me see, where am I at? Verse 11. We're almost done here. It says, and he answered, uh, then I answered and said to him, what are the two olive trees at the right of the lampstand and at its left? And I further answered and said to him, what are these two olive branches that drip into the receptacles of the two gold pipes from which the golden oil drains? Then he answered me and said, Do you not know what they are? And I said, No, my Lord. And he said, These are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. And so the, the, this vision kind of climaxes. It kind of peaks right here in verse 14 where God is calling Zerubbabel and Joshua the two anointed ones. Because again, if you remember our last vision, it was all about Joshua. This one was all about Zerubbabel. But these two visions are very closely related. And so he was going to use these two guys to bring back the temple so that the glory of the Lord would dwell in it. And they would be the ones that stood before the Lord and the Lord would use them to, for, for all the world, the known world at the time. And, and what an honorable title that these two, men, these two men received, the anointed ones. Again, as the two olive trees, Joshua and Zerubbabel, received the empowering of God's Spirit. And they kept the light of Israel's work and witness burning. They were the ones that kind of carried them through. When, when Haggai left, when Zechariah was done, Zerubbabel and Joshua were still there to continue to, to do the work that God wanted to, to do. And oil, again, always a symbol of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. Prophets, priests, and kings were anointed with oil. And the word Messiah, or the words Messiah and Christ, actually mean the anointed and so the, 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 this anointing oil that, that, that is represented here, not just anybody could prepare or, or work with this kind of oil. It was the priests. They were the ones that used this anointing oil for God's servants, according to Exodus chapter 30. 
It says, the spirit of the Lord came upon me because the Lord has anointed me. And that, that is a quote from Isaiah 61.1. And it's interesting because Jesus quoted that exact quote when he was in the temple in Nazareth in Luke chapter 4 where he talked about that, that the spirit of the Lord was upon him because he was the anointed one. Now, what is interesting here, as we finish here, there's a correlation this, in this last verse. And, and, and we looked at it with the, the, two, the, the two olive trees. And that is in Revelation chapter 20. In Revela uh, Revelation chapter 11, when, when the two witnesses come on the scene, they are called, or, or, or uh, let me go to it before I jack it all up. But it says this about, about these, these guys. In verse 4 of chapter 11. Well, let me go before that. Uh, verse 3. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed with sack and sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before God on the earth. And so there's this correlation that not only in the days of Zechariah was Zerubbabel and Joshua these two sources of power and might that God would use at that time. But there was a prophecy that would come a little later that would be at the end of the age with these two prophets that show up during the tribulation time and they are called the, the, the olive trees and the lampstand. Who they are, a lot of speculation of who they could be. Some people do think that it could be Zerubbabel and Joshua. Who knows? Other people think that it could be uh, Elijah and Moses or Elijah and Enoch and that it could just be other people or groups as far as New Testament, Old Testament, those kinds of things. Um, but if our God is the Lord of all the earth, why do we fear? If he is the one that, that, that moves mountains, if he is the one that can drop all the obstacles, if he is the one that has promised us the spirit of God, that, that it would be through his power, why do we falter? Why do we fail? Again, as we look at Joshua and Zerubbabel, these men were encouraged through all of this that God's spirit would be with them. And if we are going to seek the Lord, and if we are going to move forward in our lives and as a church, then again, it's not by our might. It's not by our power. It's by the spirit, says the Lord. And guys, again, man, this is where we want to be as a church, that we're trusting in who God is, not in our resources, not in our strength, not in our gifts. Again, God will use all of those things. But let us not despise small things, small ministries, because God can use all of that. He is a great God. He uses small people, <laughs> small things. But he is a great God who empowers and blesses his servants, those who are dedicated to him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I know that there was a lot that maybe I just didn't get to, Lord. But I pray that, God, as we go back and read and go back and study, Lord, God, that we would be encouraged, Lord. 
by this portion of scripture, Lord. As we see this young man, that Lord, as he rests, as he gets empowered by you, you use him in a powerful way. I thank you, Lord God, that you can use a young man like this. That Lord, to, to encourage other people who, who were down, who were discouraged, to lift them up, to tell them the things that you had shared with him, Lord. And so, Father, even for us as a church, Lord, I pray that this whole portion has been an encouragement to us, Lord, wherever we might be at. Lord, if, if we've been in those places that we thought it was our might and our power, help us to repent of that, Lord. Help us to, to rely upon who you are and you only, Lord. That whatever resources, whatever powers we might have, that they would come under who you are, Lord that we would just lay them at your feet and you do with them as you will, Lord. And so we thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.